as a ceo i felt i can be the biggest asset or the biggest liability for the company depending on how well i learn and grow because the ceo that's required for a company when we are 100 people is vastly different than when we are you know 1000 people or 3000 people whatever the number hi everyone i'm pankaj mishra and you are listening to the outliers podcast it's a podcast a series of conversations with outliers i'm sitting down with uh, an outlier uh, welcome to the podcast uh, raju thank you pankaj such a joy i tell you to uh, see you here in nizambad and thank you for making the trip yeah so for those of you who may not know raju uh, we are talking to raju reddy founder of uh, sira atlantic Uh, remember that old uh, Indian services story. Uh, he exited, sold it to Hitachi. But why do I think you are an outlier? Let me answer that question before I ask answers from you. You know, over years in my career, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people in the ecosystem, have talked about you as this uh, faceless, quiet. Uh, enabler of many entrepreneurial stories. Uh, one of them that I have. followed very closely is that of funny uh, funny the summer of red bus so that's why i have always been meaning to sit down with you and uh, this you are the, just the kind of person who makes this podcast an outlier so <laughs> thanks again thanks thanks let's start from the start raju give me a sense of where you come from uh, give me a sense of growing up as well sure it would be good to understand where you come from to see uh, the values uh, and everything else that you you know sure carried sure. on yeah uh, very happy to yeah so i i mean this is my hometown nizamabad uh, this is where i grew up um, early years and then i uh, went to uh, uh, high school uh, near vizag uh, sainik school korkonda so there is only one of these uh, schools in every state uh, and uh, that primary objective these are central government schools uh, and the primary objective is to train you for the armed forces and uh, so as one of those who could not get into the army i couldn't make it and so i became an engineer and uh, you know uh, at the at the same time um, uh, you referred to values uh, i believe uh, you know your values are shaped very early in life and they are a very important part of uh, you know the, who you are and thereby the organization often times any organization that you may end up leading uh, or part of the organization that you're leading i i, I think uh, the values your personal sort of background and those values are reflected there knowledge and wisdom come later in life right so i feel i was fortunate to sort of uh, in many ways uh, certainly in a small town uh, nizambad but subsequently uh, at uh, sainik school korukonda even though i couldn't make in the armed forces uh you know some of the things like uh, emphasizing team about self uh and certainly things like ethics integrity uh loyalty i mean those sort of things i believe uh, have been an integral part of uh, who i have become and uh, certainly some of that comes from you know my parents and uh, you know where i grew up but also my teachers my fellow you know uh, school friends and all that uh and uh So after my high school is when I went to Bits Pilani, and uh, you know I uh, uh, I was actually in a waiting list at the time, 
uh, and at that time this is back in uh, you know 76 to 81 time period uh, bits had a unassigned admission uh, so basically only half of the students would get into engineering uh, and uh, so you know and I was in kind of the bottom five percent if you will when I got into the college right uh, which meant I would have gotten the choices for more like MA I don't know Sanskrit or something else at the time uh, but uh, yeah I, I I don't think it's arrogance but I felt comfortable enough to sort of say okay I, I feel if I work at it I will get into whatever program uh, I might have wanted which is primarily engineering and so then I graduated from BITS uh, with the uh, electrical and electronics engineering at that time and after that of course I went to US and all that but uh, mm -hmm. yeah so that's kind of my early years in sure. college. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Nidamama doesn't look like a small town anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, it has uh, certainly changed over 30 years, but still, it's roughly a city of about 6 lakh population. So, you know, uh, I, I guess uh, it's maybe a tier 3 or tier 4 town, at least by population size. Yeah. Uh, take us through the uh, entrepreneurial journey, Raju. Uh, tell us how did uh, it happen? Yeah. Uh, and uh, Take us through the building blocks, take us through lessons in making it or failures. Yeah, yeah. Take, walk me through it. Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, after Pilani, uh, I, I went to uh, uh, US for my master's. I went to Virginia Tech. Uh, as, uh, you know, most of the students back then, uh, that was sort of the, you know, uh, choice, uh, career choice. Uh, and uh, one of the, you know, reasons why I went to uh, Virginia Tech was it had a $10 application fee and my entire budget was about 30 bucks. Uh, so, you know, and it's a place where I had a scholarship, uh, you know, uh, that obviously helped uh, because there's no other way to pay for our college back then because we couldn't get bank loans and all that, right, uh, in those years. And then, uh, so after that, uh, I, uh, my first job out of college was at Intel and uh, uh, one thing, uh, you know, in Pilani, uh, at that time, we uh, worked with the Intel microprocessors and, you know, uh, I think it was the only college in India that had a course on microprocessors. Uh, the definitive book on that back then was written by Professor Dr. A.P. Mathur at BITS. Uh, I was told that the same book was used in other colleges, including IITs in India. So, uh, so I, I, I think that uh, certainly helped me when I was looking for my job, uh, you know, at Intel. And Intel was a great place to start my career in Silicon Valley and, you know, uh, and uh, so about uh, 89, 90 time frame, you know, living in Silicon Valley, uh, I had this sort of a confused state of mind of doing something with India, in India, for India, you know, and that led to a organization that I started along with another friend of mine, uh, by name Prakash Chandra back then. Uh, uh, who went to IIT Kharagpur and who is also working in uh, Intel. Uh, and uh, so uh, we started an organization called SIPA, Silicon Valley Indian Professionals Association. And, uh, you know, the primary objective for that was to promote business between India and the US back then uh, in Silicon Valley, right? Uh, uh, this is really the early years of, uh, I mean, this kind of precedes the IT industry as we know it in India. And uh, so in many ways, SIPA was sort of a precursor to the Thai organization. Thai Silicon Valley came after that. 
and uh, obviously Thai was started by people that already had some success as entrepreneurs and we were just in a bunch of sort of young uh, 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 techies uh, working at Intel, Apple, Oracle, whatever companies and uh, you know uh, so through that uh, we started these uh, seminars uh, titled Software India and uh, uh, so we would invite some of the India companies uh, to connect them up with uh, you know US corporations and the local US consul, consul general he was actually a very dynamic person uh, by name Mr. Rana in uh, San Francisco at that time I forget his first name but anyway uh, that was Mr. Rana and uh, uh, he was very helpful in sort of uh, supporting us and uh, so through that is when I met uh, companies uh, like uh, you know HCL and Wipro and I still remember at that time Ashok Suta was the CEO of uh, Wipro and Subrata Bakchi was the account manager. Uh, okay, so, so I'll get into that a little bit. So I introduced them to Intel and uh, Intel was the first Fortune 100 customer uh, or may even be Fortune 1000 customer of Wipro. And uh, so the, uh, and their entire outsourcing uh, business was uh, less than a million dollars at that time. And uh, Intel was about a $700,000 account. Uh, for them and uh, so I was driving that relationship for them obviously from the customer side. Uh, the thing is Intel was uh, coming up with new microprocessors and they were, uh, I mean these are the days when Intel and Microsoft were like the really the two big giants in the Intel. tech. Yeah, yeah exactly that's where it came from and uh, <clears throat> but they both were also sort of trying to hedge their bets not to depend too much on each other. So in Intel's case, their strategy was to uh, build uh, systems with uh, Unix operating system uh, as opposed to just Windows. And uh, uh, not many people may remember this, but uh, uh, you know, you, the microprocessor systems in India or developed by HCL and Wipro, they were all uh, done with Unix because that is the only open source software back then. Everything else was proprietary. So as a result, India was sort of a, in a unique position with some good advantage in terms of understanding at least Unix working on any you know operating on any hardware, and so that is a big uh, you know uh, sort of a differentiator that I was able to sell to my boss back then, Richard Wirt at uh, Intel, and uh, so anyway, that's how we were able to secure that contract for Wipro with Intel. I talk about it because actually at some point Subrato and I said we should. Uh, because that was the early chapter of the current IT outsourcing, you know, uh, at least from the technology from Silicon Valley side. And uh, uh, that's when Subrato Bakchi, he was account manager for Intel and of course we had a great relationship. They grew that very well. And then uh, through Software India, I saw a bunch of other companies, of course HCL and uh, I think uh, DCM was there and Satyam was just starting up. Uh, so, you know, about 93 I said, Hey, if these guys can do, why not me, you know, coming, having an engineering background and I've been at Intel and, uh, you know, for me, and then in the valley, you're always surrounded by entrepreneurs. So it's, it, it's not unusual for somebody who's been in the industry for, you know, five or six years to start thinking about doing something on your own at some point. But in my case, Pankaj, I would say, I, uh, <laughs> Definitely had this sort of a, um, 
you know, uh, desire to, whatever I do, it had to have some connection with India. I had no idea what the heck I was going to do, but it had to have some connection with India, right? And uh, uh, then uh, I ended up uh, reaching out to one of my classmates from Pilani, uh, Sarat Sura, who was in India at the time. So the two of us sort of came together, uh, then started Sierra Atlantic and, uh, you know, uh, that's kind of where we started our journey. And I was fortunate enough to come out of Intel with a reasonable sort of a, you know, uh, cash balance that I could support my family for one year. Beyond that, I had no idea what would happen. But, uh, you know, uh, things turned out okay. Uh, Raju, if you were to handpick some of the most important lessons from your own entrepreneurial journey, mm. what would be there? Yeah. So, one, I often talk about you know, the importance of uh, having a right corporate culture, you know, and we've all heard this, but, you know, it's uh, so much of it really comes down to your ability to attract, nurture and retain great talent. And, uh, and that's not always all about setting a, you know, big ambitious vision and a great strategy. I mean, those are absolutely essential. Uh, but I think it's also about sort of the, uh, like I said, the corporate culture, the values with which you build your organization, uh, you know, um, because if you truly are committed to making your people successful, then you'll naturally become, you know, vastly successful. Just to uh, get into sort of the values, you know, for us, uh, and we used to sort of talk about it and, uh, you know, uh, and two of those are actually values that took away from my own experience at Intel. There is a great place to learn and, you know, fantastic management organization. Uh, and I'm sure, uh, you know, most people would have heard of, you know, Andy Gross book, Only the Paranoid Survive and all that, right? Uh, so, uh, one of those is, uh, so, so to me, the I actually engaged our employees, uh, I think when we were about 50 employees, on what really makes up our, our values and we thought it's important to document them. I said there are two to me that are kind of non-negotiable and one is sort of trust because if you don't have that, nothing else really matters and trust not just with your uh, uh, customers or employees but also with your you know vendors or others, right? Uh, and so anything and everything we did, we felt that is something that we wanted to sort of, uh, you know, build that into our, uh, you know, processes, systems and our behavior day to day. And second is results, which is to say, you know, effort is good, but results is what counts at the end of the day, you know, and that is actually a value from Intel. And uh, so starting with me, uh, you know, as the founder, the CEO, uh, people have to be accountable for their results, you know. And uh, uh, the third is about learning, which is to say, you know, how do you build a adaptive learning organization and uh, once again you know as a CEO I felt I can be the biggest asset or the biggest liability for the company depending on how well I learn and grow because the CEO that's required for a company when we are 100 people is vastly different than when we are you know 1000 people or uh, 3000 people whatever the number so those are you know uh, some of the things that we uh, without going to each of the values I think it's important to have the right culture that allows you to attract, retain, nurture talent. The other thing I would say is uh, having good mentors 
and uh, you know i was very fortunate in my journey to have kanwal ricky as you know uh, a mentor uh, and uh, you know i also had just a phenomenal board independent uh, board members uh, hatim tyabji that uh, some may have heard about uh, he was the founder ceo of uh, verifone and later on best buy he was the chairman of best buy sorry uh, to interrupt you raju yeah. you're bringing a very very important point yeah that about boards even when you are starting up or building a, mm-hmm. a company yeah at what point in time did you really build a board mm-hmm. in your startup journey oh that's a, a great question yeah so so i would say it's really once you get a you know institutional round of capital uh, but before that having a good mentor who is effectively you know your sort of board member i, I think that's uh, definitely uh, very valuable but i think what's more important is when people think about uh, you know boards uh, often times they are sort of uh, stacked with uh, uh, too many venture capitalists i mean nothing against vcs the wonderful vcs out there and you know but uh, uh, you really need to have uh, independent board members and you know and good independent board members and good mentors in my view you know I have to realize uh, that uh, you know it's a two way street it's not all about i'm kind of parting some great wisdom to each of the, you know the companies i'm involved with right that's sort of my learning over the years and i learn just as much if not more from each of the entrepreneurs that i work with and uh, also i think you need to have that empathy for the entrepreneur and i'm not saying vcs don't but it doesn't come as naturally for many of them right uh, kind of placing yourself in the shoes of the entrepreneur and Yeah, and certainly having the relevant experience uh, that you can sort of uh, tap into uh, to give the right kind of advice right uh, i i think that's very important and uh, so that's one area you know uh, yeah in general i would say try to get a sufficient number of independent board members and also the other thing i've seen sometimes is uh, you know even with the independent board members uh, i've uh, since we are talking about this in the context of indian entrepreneurs and all that right uh, there are enough people out there who may have all kinds of experience in the corporate world but uh, you know they may not be fair to the entrepreneur when they get involved with the company in terms of you know what uh, stake they get what equity and all of that right so i tell the entrepreneurs if somebody is you know so heavily focused on their equity and their compensation then he or she is probably the wrong person for you so the equity that you give i uh, give to you know your board members and mentors i mean most good ones frankly never even you know talk i mean kanwal hatim they never even bothered to say what what is that equity and you know i just had to come up with something that was obviously uh, i felt was fair and you know uh, and all that but um, yeah so uh, i yeah the independent uh, board members i, I think is extremely important uh and uh, you know but having the mentors right to me uh, that's the same i mean those mentors go on to become independent board members a lot of times and uh, yeah. uh, before we get to your next phase of working with entrepreneurs one uh, last thing about uh, the so called exit yes yes or, or uh, whatever way you describe it yeah 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 uh, selling it to hitachi yeah yeah what did that mean for you as an entrepreneur really Sure. Uh, take me yeah. through some of the key yeah, learnings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'll say uh, good companies are uh, bought, not sold. 
so you know uh, i like to think uh, we were you know in that uh, situation and uh, so hitachi uh, we we were at a point where i mean the company was obviously growing very well and they're operating in about 12 different countries 24 2500 employees and they're also at the very top tier in terms of our profitability and just because of some ip we built and the differentiated we are a services company but with you know that sort of a, a, a differentiation uh, with the ip and uh, uh, so hitachi um, yeah they reached out to us uh, i think in their case they actually uh, competed with us in um, uh, in the midwest on one of the you know larger deals in chicago uh and and the last two hours and you know that's one good way to no- get noticed <laughs> by potential acquirer and uh, so we had other sort of suitors earlier and uh, we didn't pay much attention to that uh but uh, in the case of hitachi when they came so to me you know uh, there were sort of two main considerations one obviously the economics of the deal had to be you know uh, attractive enough Uh, not just for me but uh, all the other you know stakeholders uh, the investors and all that and second uh, i really uh, wanted to make sure it's sort of a good home for my employees right because these people have been with me so long in my journey many of them started off as new college grads and kind of you know grew through the ranks and all that uh, and also i told uh, when i was talking to the hitachi guys i said hey listen here are some you know four or five people at the top don't worry about us you know uh, you don't have to i mean if you lose us so be it and no matter what you do you may end up losing some or all of us but at the next 10 15 people if you lose those then you have lost a lot of you know value and uh, interestingly before hitachi approached we bought four companies right over a period of time uh, one was out of uh, london uh, one was uh, out of china and uh, other two in us in boston and charlotte uh, so i think that actually helped me in the process uh, and uh, you know because i could sort of place myself in the shoes if you will as much as i could in the shoes of the buyer and say hey what what would a buyer be thinking about uh, i mean not just to get the deal but you know year from now year from after that of 3 years 5 years from then because if i really wanted to be a good home for my employees i mean i had to make this successful for my you know buyer right and um, uh, so i i think that process actually worked out very well and also always used to say you know as a ceo i really have to build my company to be a high quality public company someday Uh, meaning a company with the predictable revenue engine the right culture you know all of the right systems processes then the right things will happen so don't worry too much about who might buy me or what price when if you really get you know your company to be a high quality public company someday if you're marching towards that at the right pace then you may become a, a public company or you may choose to sort of take the path i did right uh and then uh, back to kind of uh, the question you were asking earlier also about the board members and mentors i tell you kanwal i mean all my board members were fantastic actually in that conversation with hitachi right and kanwal was amazing in that and uh, you know uh, i still remember um, you know the hitachi guys when they were because they were pretty aggressive wanting to sort of uh, 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 make the deal and uh, 
So when they reached out and, uh, you know, they said, well, we're a Japanese company, it takes us time, you know, uh, three months, six months, whatever. And uh, I remember that was 2010, December. So there were U.S. tax laws that were going to expire. Uh, there was some tax benefit at the end of 2010. So we said, well, if the deal doesn't happen by 2010, sorry, guys, we can't unless you up the price by another whatever that percentage is, right? Uh, because of tax implication. And they said, oh, no, no, but uh, we have our own processes and all that. And Carol said, well, if, if they are slow, if they are a Japanese company and they are slow, that's their problem, not ours. So let them figure out how, you know. And uh, obviously, I didn't tell them exactly that, but kind of, you know, communicated the essence of that. And, and you know, in fairness to them, they were fantastic. They actually moved very rapidly. And, uh, you know, fortunately, I had a great management team. Uh, just a fantastic CFO and a, you know team that uh, had the right sort of uh, uh, pieces in place in terms of our you know for the due diligence it moved very fast uh, so that didn't take too long and then you know after that I stayed on on the board for a couple of years and I'm still engaged with Hitachi not I mean don't have a real job but just kind of you know in a strategic advisory role uh, and uh, subsequently I helped them with one of the other acquisitions a fairly large acquisition of a company out of India in the payment space, uh, Prism Payments, that subsequently became Hitachi Payments. So I served on, on that board for uh, three years, I think. And, you know, so, uh, and the Hitachi guys, uh, multiple times at a you know, very high level, at the highest level, in fact, within Hitachi have said, uh, this is one of the most successful acquisitions they have uh, made in the last several years. Uh, so that feels pretty good and the guys who used to be on my team, you know, uh, they're now, you know, running fairly large uh, uh, businesses within Hitachi and uh, uh, so it, uh, you know, uh, been fortunate that the journey worked out pretty well. So from what you have seen uh, in different entrepreneurial journeys, including yours, you have mm -hmm. also been working with a lot of entrepreneurs. Uh, one of the questions is when to give up? Or should you give up or not? Or should you keep building it? Uh, it's a question I, as a rookie entrepreneur, I also face. But I have seen a lot of them struggle to answer this question because of different reasons. Mm. So from what you have seen, Raju, how do you think entrepreneurs should approach this question about whether they should carry on or not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, to some extent, you know, uh, it's definitely a personal choice, right? Uh, how far do you push because there could be all kinds of other considerations uh, you know at a personal level that weigh in but considering you have made the decision to sort of be an entrepreneur uh, most people uh, you know obviously will push as far as possible I mean till they run out of money essentially uh, but uh, I think there are enough indication, indicators that you have. One is really the customer response, you know, how well and how fast are they taking up to your ideas and your product uh, and if they're willing to pay for it and, you know, all of that. Uh, and second is uh, also, you know, for those companies that raise institutional capital, you know, uh, which mo most of them do end up, and especially in a market like India, where now this, I would even say, 
you know, uh, close to a surplus of capital. There's no shortage of capital at least, right? Uh, and I, I, if you can't, okay, if you can't get uh, capital money from, you know, 10 VCs that you pitch to is one thing, but if you pitched it to 20 different people and you still don't, maybe that's a sign out there, right? Uh, now, having said that, there are obviously some fantastic companies like Zoho, but that's, that's been built up, you know, from the ground up without any external capital. Uh, but I would say that's more of an exception. Yeah. Maybe the more important thing in this, uh, Pankaj, is really your adaptability, your ability to sort of listen to what the market is telling you and uh, make that sort of shift in your product or what we call pivoting and all of that, right? Uh, and yeah, so it's... Uh, yeah, I, I, I think uh, that, that, that may be a more important. So if you have not really adapted adequately, uh, you know, over a two, three year period and you still don't see the traction, uh, maybe you have to question yourself if you've got the right, uh, you know, uh, this thing. And also, uh, in many ways, uh, it's better to get somebody external and this is where I think good mentors, we we're talking about it earlier, right? They can help you sort of navigate that path, uh, you know, uh, because you're sort of too much into the company to, you know, it's very hard for you to be so objective about, you know, if you have to pull the plug on it at some point and, you know, uh, a mentor can typically guide you through that, uh, I think, better. There is this entrepreneurial optimism, right, which people celebrate also. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, you know, an entrepreneur is someone who would keep doing something no matter what the world thinks. So there is yeah, a certain yeah. uh, glorification yeah. uh, about oh, it, right? No it's glorified. It. No question. Yeah, yeah. So how yeah. do you then make these decisions? How do you know it's not foolishness? That's very true. I mean, you know, it's only one out of every 20 companies that get formed maybe that even get to the point of raising capital and, you know. Uh, any capital, uh, let alone institutional capital and, you know, far fewer that, I mean, typically we all hear about that, most VC funds, I mean, barely it's like 10% of the companies that pretty much, you know, return the fund, if they return the fund and, you know, half of them pretty much die and, you know, so uh, um, I guess the way to think about it is it's not so much you're giving up on being an entrepreneur as much as giving up on this specific idea. So live, live to fight another day, right? Uh, maybe that's the way to think about it. Uh, now I would, t I would never tell. I mean, being an entrepreneur, I would never tell. Yeah, give up in something. Uh, you know, entrepreneurs by nature are restless people, so it's it's unlikely that they would sort of uh, you know. So so two things: one, your ability to adapt and pivot, and second, yeah, as Kanwal actually likes to say, you need to have sort of the intellectual honesty, you know. Uh, listening to these signals that you're getting from your customers and partners, investors, whoever. So it's, it's more, more about living to fight another day, I would say, than uh, saying I'm giving up on this altogether. No, that, that's well answered. One is to look for the signals. The other is to understand what you really want to do. And there are some personal things yeah, as yeah, well for yeah, people yeah. to yeah. figure out. And also getting an external perspective from a good mentor. That's where mm. somebody who's been with you, you know, in that journey, mentoring you. I think he or she can sort of uh, read the situation and help you sort of navigate that better, I think, yeah. 
yeah. what will it take to survive through? What will it take to make through? Both from attributes for an entrepreneur and the company attributes itself. What will it take to become that in this age? Oh, the You mean... Uh, uh, the the durability. The, the durability or, of the companies? I mean, obviously, I, I don't have... I can really sort of uh, guess based on what I've observed of, uh, you know, the few companies. But uh, uh, I, I, I really, again, I come back to sort of this, you know, the corporate culture. I mean, that, that's one thing that doesn't change much in the good companies, your core values and, you know. And also, as companies become global, I mean, you know, pe people are the same wherever. Sometimes you make too much about uh, these cultural differences and all, which is true. But at the end of the day, you know, people are, uh, in my view, you know, they really want to, there are two things that matter most to them. One, they all want to be part of something that's successful. And second, they want to be recognized for the role that they play in that success, right? Uh, so, as long as a company is sort of, uh, you know, doing that, and, you know, but again, that it only means you have to constantly adapt and, you know, I mean, uh, Apple is actually a good example of that almost died and then uh, recovered, uh, you know, phenomenally. And... Uh, Microsoft. Uh, yeah, Ma Microsoft, a fantastic example. Uh, of course, Intel. Uh, but, you know, th these are, these are uh, yeah, in some ways, Facebook, Google, they're, they're still pretty young companies. But uh, Microsoft, Intel, th those are, yeah, kind of, I think, getting up to, I don't know, maybe 35, 40-year-old companies now. Yeah. What will be your picks from India? Uh, even on the product side that you're talking about. Oh, okay. So, if I may back up, just uh, my, my belief about this sort of uh, India to global product companies is India is in a unique position to combine the best of both China and Israel. The way I think about it is if you visualize like a, you know, a vertical axis that measures uh, scale of companies addressing global markets and horizontal axis is scale of companies addressing domestic market. So China is very far along that x-axis, but very low on the y-axis, right? Because very substantial size companies, you know, worth $100 billion or more, you know, that primarily serve only the domestic market, uh, almost no customer base outside, you know. Uh, whereas Israel, partly because it has very little of domestic market, but they've probably done, of all the eco ecosystem, they've probably done the best job of, you know, building products for a global market outside of U.S., of course. So, U.S. is somewhere in the far right corner on that imaginary, you know, graph I was talking about. India is well behind China on the scale for domestic, although we are getting pretty good at it. But certainly above China, companies addressing a global market. So, to me... I think the opportunity for India over the next, you know, five to ten years is to be much more like US, where you can actually have, because the advantage of the domestic market allows you to build products, it can hone them, and, you know, at the same time, because of the Indian diaspora outside and certainly in Silicon Valley, and just the quality of entrepreneurs that are coming out of India, it's amazing. Uh, I think it's just a matter of time before we see some of those truly, you know, global companies. And, uh, uh, I, I, you know, some of these entrepreneurs, I mean, uh, some companies I'm, of course, involved with, like Grey Orange, and since they're asking about names, 
um, fortunate to be an early investor, pretty much wrote the first check and, you know, uh, been working with them. I mean, there are several others. Uh, Belong is a very early stage company, but just a phenomenal entrepreneur. When you talk to these guys, you know, actually it might be a relevant anecdote. Uh, Samay, a couple of years ago, Samay Kohli is the founder CEO of uh, uh, Grey Orange, um, about I think a year and a half ago. One day he turns to me and says, uh, you know, Raju, I want to build an Apple kind of company. And, uh, you know, my heart swelled with pride. I mean, just listening to this, you know, young man, I've known him from his college days and, you know, all that. And and his point is, uh, uh, by the way, there are very few people that build an Apple kind of company, whether in Silicon Valley or out of India, right? Uh, but uh, his point is, hey, listen, I've got like uh, two, three hundred engineers across mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, computer science. And these are from the top colleges like Bates, IIT, wherever. And sure, I'm building these robots for factory automation today, but I could repurpose this for any number of other technologies, talking about institutions at last, right? Uh, so that kind of scale of ambition, I, I didn't see that out of Indian entrepreneurs, you know, five years ago or something like that. Whether he builds an Apple, who knows, time will tell. But it's just fantastic that, so this is not just empty bravado either, right? I mean, this is a guy who actually has built a substantial size company, truly global company, and, you know, he's closing deals that are measured in, Hundreds of millions of dollars, not tens of millions. Very few startups in Silicon Valley do that. Uh, so to me, uh, I'm just giving a specific example, of course. That's, uh, you know, Vijay Sharma belong, like I said. Just fantastic, uh, the kind of, you know, ambition that they're working with. And, uh, you know, uh, and, and they're also, I think, uh, quite grounded. These are not some, you know, pie-in-the-sky things. So I'm, I'm, I'm very bullish and, yeah. Uh, now, whether... Some of these guys will go on to build a institution that lasts, you know, 100 years uh, or even 50 years. Uh, time will tell. But uh, some of them that I've talked to, yeah, I, th- I think they definitely uh, exhibit that sort of a mindset, confidence. But also, you know, luck l- l- does play a role at some point. I mean, you can't completely uh, discount that, I think, just in terms of, uh, you know, uh, in terms of where you... I mean, there are external factors that could drive that, right? And Final question. The two entrepreneurial journeys that you have watched very closely over the past decade or maybe more. One was funding the summer of Red Bus. Yeah. The other, I'm happy you brought it up. Samay Kohli, you know, Samay's uh, Grey Orange Robotics. If you were to pick the key learnings in these entrepreneurs, from these entrepreneurs, as an observer, yeah, yeah. what would be some of the things that are worth uh, modeling, worth learning from these two entrepreneurial journeys? Obviously, two just, uh, you know, wonderful uh, guys and, uh, you know, uh, uh, very successful, but two very different sort of, uh, you know, uh, people and approaches. Uh, and in some ways, uh, slightly different time too. Uh, the big difference, obviously, is, uh, you know, uh, how uh, quickly it's more uh, because of the nature of the product and the uh, market. Samay kind of he made that switch from India to global, right? He started off with uh, India customers. And that's a perfect example of my earlier sort of uh, comment or theory about it allows you to hone your product, build that and, you know, then take it to a global market, right? And he made that switch, I think, uh, quite successfully. In, in case of Funny, of course, uh, you know, uh, with Redbus, 
that, that is uh, primarily a india only sort of uh, pursuit uh, even though i think we had some interest from outside markets uh, but maybe the outside markets were not as you know especially in asia uh, were not as ready either uh, at that time i mean certainly one thing that's common between the two of them they both uh, are graduates of bits pilani so you know which of course i'm proud of and uh, I think it's a place that produces some of the best entrepreneurs in the country. And uh, I guess... Uh, in terms of core values or any core building blocks that you believe is, is common. Yeah, so, so, so one thing is, uh, I think it's a little bit more visible in the case of Grey Orange, uh, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's not just the founder, although we talk about Samay or Funny here, Samay has Akash Gupta, right? Uh, they are really two piece in a pod i mean they're so close and so tight it's just uh, fantastic uh, I, i i i think they complement each other so beautifully i i think that's a big big part of what's making them uh, successful uh, and funny actually in some ways had a similar uh, you know uh, situation with charan maybe not with the same degree of uh, sort of because there was also a third founder and you know but uh, i think bo- both very persuasive extremely good in front of customers and uh, you know uh, and funny has this sort of a disarming you know sort of a, a persona that just uh, amazing and in his case i don't know i mean if uh, samay could have uh, been as successful in selling to you know people in the, uh, the public transport and things like that right i've seen actually in some of the situation is funny uh, because he sort of evokes a trust from these people and especially in a in some ways a much more competitive environment right and uh, uh, samay on the other hand is sort of a he's a dreamer uh, a real dreamer he has been out there selling dreams and every good entrepreneur has to do that at times uh, especially when he made the transition to you know becoming a global company uh, i think samay has done that uh, just uh, uh, amazingly well so th- those are some of the common things and uh, you know a few different things that i could pick up yeah when you listen back yeah to your answer you will know why i asked that question because i think you have captured some of the key or attributes of what it takes to be a good entrepreneur yeah in that yeah. sense yeah so that yeah, was yeah i hope so yeah no no that's good that's good <laughs> well you you're obviously very good at uh, this interview so uh, yeah yeah no no they, it is yeah anyway, but definitely uh, this thing about having a in fact there was a book written long time ago uh, it was titled i think blueprint to a billion they basically studied companies that kind of got to this is almost like 15 20 years ago what are the characteristics of those companies and one of those was about having this sort of a you know tight partnership with a co-founder uh you know one that sort of more external facing one internal facing or however you might divvy up your roles but that's the most common form of thing right uh and that is sort of a common trait that they found in all of these uh, cases thank you rajiv but on on a more final note i want to understand uh what you are doing now and why <laughs> oh the kakatiya sandbox <laughs> finally <laughs> oh fantastic of course of course yeah yeah so so like uh, you know i'm saying earlier i've sort of two big interests right now one is the sort of product companies coming out of india for a global market i'm very passionate very involved with a bunch of companies there um uh, and uh, the other is the kakatiya sandbox which is essentially uh building an ecosystem for long term social impact right and uh, you know that's uh, in india uh, and primarily in rural india 
if you think about you know india obviously it's a land of opportunities and challenges uh, but lot of the challenges and they are there in urban india as a rule but the problems of urban india are more visible to people like you and i that have some means or knowledge to do something about it in many ways the problems of rural india are not as visible to the people that hopefully can sort of help you know address those right and most of the times the government uh, you know that certainly uh, you know is aware of it and the answer has been unfortunately i think more of um, you know that's just my personal view of a uh, little bit more of dole outs and uh, you know uh, things like that but on the other hand i mean there are a lot of very uh, you know progressive governments in fact the very fact that you know in telangana state that they recruited funny to be the you know chief innovation officer it's fantastic uh, you know uh, i think that's starting to happen and you know certainly even at the national level uh, hopefully you know there's a lot of positive change uh, that's ahead of us but at the same time in some ways you know i, I would say the lot of difference between america and here in india but one thing that i do like about america is there's much more ownership by private citizens of you know problem they may see around and all i'm doing is just you know playing my little role here uh, in my hometown and we pick this area roughly 10 million population that we call the kakatiya sandbox and uh, so we're building this ecosystem uh, again for long term uh, you know positive social impact and our programs are primarily focused on improving income level in rural telangana in just these three areas uh, so the idea is if you have 20 such ecosystems around the country each touching 10 million people that's 200 million people that's about 25% of india's rural population uh, time will tell how successful we'll be uh, at least in kakatiya sandbox but so far 5 years into the journey uh, funny and i you know started this 5 uh, years ago uh, working uh, obviously our work is modeled after what desh deshpande has done in hubli uh, and uh, you know uh, we are very encouraged by you know and hopefully you had a chance to witness some part of it today and you know it's just amazing to see and it's very rewarding to see the kind of impact uh, you know uh, that just with l- what little intervention can do uh, it's kind of surprising in some ways that uh, you know it doesn't take that much intervention to have uh, a meaningful uh, impact and so i got speed with that raju oh thank you wonderful <laughs> talking to you likewise so, pankaj privilege to be here oh, my my pleasure thank, thank you, you. thank yeah. you